Today we're going to continue to have a look at fear and how to be free from fear. One of the things that we have to look at is the God of the Old Testament. And I would like to explain the setting wherein we should interpret the writings of the Old Testament and how we should look at what is said uh, by many of the writers of the Old Testament. There's a context wherein we can look at all these Old Testament writers that will really be challenging to our uh, traditional mind, yet it will set us free from a lot of bondage and fear. Now, one of the first things that I want to do is just explain a little bit about, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the impact that fear has on a person's life. What fear does is, uh, fear removes, uh, removes you from reality. It starts, to, it starts to cause you to live in a certain way and have a certain thinking that is not um, cognitively correct. It will just bring pain and distress and a way of thinking that is not rational to you. If you look at somebody that's got a fear or a phobia, if you want to call it like that, um, when it comes to lightning, you will see in South Africa we find a lot of people uh, do that. They will put uh, blankets over the mirrors because they are scared the mirror can draw the lightning in. Or when they hear lightning in the distance, you know, then they have to run inside. It's all, all of a sudden they cannot think straight anymore because of fear. And that is true with any kind of fear, a fear of heights, a fear of um, certain people, a fear of the dark. All those kind of things just makes you think irrationally. In the very same way when it comes to God, if we are afraid of God, we will not have rational thinking in this life. We will not uh, be able to make wise decisions. We will have a life that is driven and born from something that might not even be true or real. And the same thing is with God. We are, should we be afraid of God, we will start to hear, hear voices, listen to commands, start to do things that we think God says to us, which has never been said or uh, which was never even in the mind of God. And we'll be very busy with, uh, with those kind of things and uh, thinking we are pleasing God and just continuing in fear and not experiencing the life that God has intended for us. Now, uh, one of the first instances or the first instance when we look at fear in the Bible is with Adam and Eve. When Adam came and he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he was naked. And then God came and when God came in the cool of the day to fellowship with Adam and just to talk to Adam the way he's always talked to Adam, uh, the way he's always fellowshiped with Adam, uh, Adam hid himself. And then when Adam hid himself, he came out eventually. And then God said to him, it was basically, why are you hiding? He says, um, I, it's because I am afraid for I am naked. And then he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? And have you eaten of the tree of which I told you not to eat? Now, if you look carefully at the Bible and what is written, the Bible says that they were naked and not ashamed. So I don't think that God has made Adam and Eve naked and they had no knowledge that they were naked. They were living in ignorance and because of the ignorance of their nakedness, they were not ashamed. I think what took place there is the way wherein you speak about nakedness or who so, who to, it, it all depends on who is telling you you are naked. 
um, that will cause certain effects in your life. And that's why God said, he clearly said, he said to Adam and Eve, he said, who told you that you were naked? Um, that you eat of that tree. So, because if God would speak to a person about his nakedness, he will feel comfort. If God speaks to you about your inability to do something, he will always reassure you um, that all your needs and wherever you don't have the ability to do something or bring something forth, it is taken care of by him as a person. Um, a very good example of that is the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. When she was caught in the act of adultery, and this is what traditionally happened in those days, is they would just come and draw the woman as she was caught in the very act before the Lord. And you know, if you're caught in the very act of adultery, you don't have a lot of clothes on. And uh, so here they would draw, draw her before the Lord in that state. And there she was, naked and ashamed, uh, because the Pharisees caught her in her, um, in her nakedness. But when Jesus came and spoke to her in the state of her nakedness, she felt clothed, although she was naked. So she was naked and unashamed. And that is what, what I believe the Bible talks about, you know. The Bible talks about naked and unashamed as, um, as from the perspective of who is talking to you about it. Now, when that woman <coughs> was naked, and drawn before the Lord, she was afraid. I'm sure she was afraid of Jesus himself because of what was spoken. Um, you know, the fear, the, the, the word fear, the Bible says that fear involves torment or punishment. So in, if you live in fear, you have not been made perfect in love. So when Adam feared at the, in the beginning, it was because he heard a word about his nakedness that caused him to think that God will punish him. And what Satan got right was that man would be afraid of God. And the moment we are afraid of God, we assign punishment to God uh, in the sense of uh, we see God as the source of our punishment. We see God as the one that wants to hurt us and not want to be good to us. For those of you that would like to just read a bit more, um, or just read outside of just the Bible. And you can, there are many books written that has got great value that can bless you. You can go and uh, look at the book, the, the first and second book of Adam. And you will see how Adam, every time something bad happened to him, he, all the time he thought it was God bringing it over him. And then God could co would come and all, every time show him it was not me. It was not me. And that is the problem that I believe that we have been struggling with since Adam. And that was to, uh, to be afraid of God, wherein we think that God wants to punish, or God will bring a hard time, or God will bring difficulty. And from that perspective, we want to build a love relationship with this God, wherein He can actually bring forth His fruit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, deep temperance and all those kind of things in our lives uh, by his union with us in loving us and it is very difficult to trust a person like that it's very difficult to believe in a god that that we believe actually that his his son jesus had to rehabilitate him 
from his anger in taking all the anger on, on, on his son. And, you know, the whole thought is this is a, a God that, that we actually need to be afraid of. And then we find scriptures in the Bible, in the Old Testament, talk, talking about things like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what we hear is that we need to be afraid of God. Uh, and the, then we would like to find a reason why we would be afraid of Him. And then that reason, uh, you know, we can, many things come to mind. You know, He, he killed this person, He killed that person. Uh, we should realize that all the Old Testament writers, when they wrote whatever they wrote, it was written, what I believe, um, the power of the prophetic. It is a shadow uh, of what was to come. It would be like a blind person trying to explain to you uh, 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 how something looks if this person has never in his life seen color, he's never in his life seen, seen any light, he has been blind from birth, now wants to happily explain to you how a certain thing looks. And that is how we need to look at the Old Testament people, even Adam. After Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, his eyes were blinded in, uh, to see who God really is. He could not see God. There was no way wherein he could um, see God at all, you know. And Jesus Christ came and he revealed the truth about the Father. That is what he did. He revealed the truth about the Father. So, church, the reason why I why I want to preach on this is very simple. When we, have, when we um, are afraid of God, we're not going to experience His life. We should not be afraid. And for me to say we should, you should not be afraid of God or uh, don't be afraid of God is not going to help. You, you are going to need evidence. You, you're going to need a correction of belief by having one message upon the other message upon the other message come and wash your heart and reprogram your belief into uh, the truth. So uh, point one that I want to make is fear makes you think irrationally and we cannot have fear and a quality relationship when we are afraid. Number two, when we look at Adam and we see fear, uh, we see how the law or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or Satan comes and he speaks to Adam about nakedness. And when he speaks to him, he is ashamed and that asha being ashamed then produces fear, not towards the devil, not towards the system you've just heard, but towards the one that wants to be good to you. Point two. If we look at Adam and we look at what Adam went through and how he dealt with God, we see the following phenomena. The devil comes, brings a message wherein he sees his nakedness, and then when he sees that nakedness, it's projected towards God and brings forth a thought that the very God that was kind to you and that is kind, he's going to be the one that's going to punish you. And that causes us to want to hide from God. So um, that's the second point I want to make. When we find the devil or the law or the ministration of death 
speak to us about our death or about our, or not death, about our nakedness. It will produce an emotion that says God will bring forth death over us, where God is the life giver, where He is the Savior. And from that perspective, we will see, we will start to see all negative things as God punishing us. We will start to assign all death and all struggles and all sickness and all disease. We will, we will want to put it behind the name of God. And in that way, we actually find that His name is being slandered and um, His name is being drawn through the mud. So uh, this is what the devil wants. He wants you to think that the inability that man has been created with. God did not make man to have eternal life by himself and by his own works. He created man to be the object on which God will bestow his love and so man will live forever. Now what the devil comes and does is he says, do you see your inability to be like God? Do you see that you are actually not like God if you look at your own works? And then he says, well, if you are not like him, you know, this God will bring destruction to you. And in that way, the enemy actually kills man by taking man away from the love of God. And in such a way, he destroys man. And that's why Jesus himself said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. The Afrikaans says the murderer of man the murder of mankind from the beginning. So the way wherein Satan murders us is by taking us away or through a wrong belief from the source of life, which is the love of God, the goodness of God, by telling us that if we cannot live up to the standard that God lives by, that God will kill us and God will destroy us. Now, we have had that mentality in the church for many years. We've even, everything we look at, you know, we can, you can go and look at um, television programs and if there's been a hurricane or there's been a tornado or there's been an earthquake or any of those things, then we are at a place where we, um, we will hear preachers say, it's the judgment of God over homosexuality. It's the judgment of God over anything possible. You know, it is just a judgment of God, and, and, um, which is a lie. And even in the, in, when it comes to the end time judgment, it is also this, this, this concept of God punishing, uh, God punishing uh, people. And it doesn't say God punish people. It says the punishment of unbelief. It is not God punishing people. The, what will kill us is unbelief in the goodness of God, not God. I want to submit this to you. God has never killed anybody. All the Old Testament writings about God killing people, I will tell you, it's misunderstood. It is not um, as it seems. And, and this is my, my, um, my point or my argument, my counter-argument that I bring to the table. And this is it, very simple. If we would have been in the court of law, you could have people that have the whole Bible and all the scriptures and they can say they've had an advocate um, advocating that God kills people and God has commanded people to be killed and everything. And then I will have, this would be my point, if, if I'm an ad advocating God is a God of life and that He just brings life. This is my point I'll bring to the table. 
Jesus. Uh, the Word of God in the Old Testament, the message that God had in the Old Testament, all put together into a life that we cannot misinterpret, that we behold the action of. If we take all of that wor word in the Old Testament and we put it into action and see what God really meant, we get the manifestation of God in the form of Jesus, who is the perfect representation of the Father. He is, if you've seen Him, you've seen the Father. And we see Him not killing anybody. We see Him not bringing sickness and disease on anybody. We don't see Him bringing a storm. We see Him calming a storm. We don't see Him, him bringing hunger. We see Him feeding the poor. Uh, we, see he, we don't see Him causing people to sink into the ocean and drown. We see Him saving those that in unbelief fell into a situation where they would, would drown and die. Excuse me. <clears throat> we see Him uh, raising the dead. We see Him uh, uh, cleansing the lepers. We see Him touching a leper that he was not supposed to do. We see him a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then when he had the opportunity to call down fire from heaven and destroy those who didn't want him in their city, he said, no, that's not what I'm going to do because I am not of the spirit of death, but I'm of the spirit of life. So we can take all of the Old Testament wherein we have to look at typology, we have to look at types and shadows, we have to look at background, we have to have all the uh, uh, hermeneutical things in place, we have to have all the apologetics, the whole thing, you know, the whole system of many people's views and opinions together, and then we might come to a certain truth, wherein all of the truth of the old was taken and put into a man, and we could see what God has intended from the beginning, and we see that He has not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. He's not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now, uh, when we look at Jesus and we look at he, the judgment that He came to bring forth upon the earth, we clearly see that it is the fulfillment of Malachi 3 and Malachi 4, which I've preached about in the two previous Sundays. Um, Malachi 4 talks about a son of righteousness that will arise with healing in his wings, that will clean the threshing floor, that will burn stuff away, that will, that will, um, this fire, you know, will be this terrible day of the Lord. And what was this terrible day of the Lord? The terrible day of the Lord was, was when God said to the Jews that you are not my special people because of your ethnicity, but that all people are the people of God. And wherein God came and he had healing in the wings of his judgment, and he healed the sick, cleansed the leper, declared the acceptable here of the Lord. And that was a terrible day of the Lord. Terrible for who? Terrible for those who believed in the Jewish system and the law system. And terrible for anybody who wants to live by, the, by willpower and all those kind of things. Terrible for the devil, but not terrible for the people. So... Uh, that the judgment of God when Jesus came to the earth was manifested in Him being good to people. 
That was the judgment of God. That was a terrible day of the, of the sun of righteousness that shined on people and um, saw that come forth. That is, that is what it's all about. So uh, when we look at the Old Testament church, when we look at what took place there, we have to realize that we are reading stuff that was written by people that had no clue on who God really was. They believed God, they trusted God, but they had no clue. I tell you, even if Jesus would have manifested, if, Jesus, if they would have been the day when Jesus walked the earth, you know, Elijah would have caught fire, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, so Jesus Christ comes and he says, the spirit I'm of is the spirit of goodness. Now, the reason I say these things is simply to just, and, and I can repeat myself and stuff, but it is just to get your heart washed uh, with the message that God is only good. Now, we can look at some scripture that's going to help us uh, have something in our heart uh, towards the Old Testament that can give us peace when we look at the God of the Old Testament and the writers of the Old Testament. This is John chapter 1, verse um, 17 and 18. Let, let's read from verse 16. It says, And of his fullness have you received Grace for grace. For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. So what he's actually saying is, when Moses came and gave what he gave, it wasn't of his fullness. It was not a full revelation of who God was. But it says, of his fullness, which is Jesus, have we received um, grace. It says, no man has seen God at any time. This is verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And this is the record of John, when the Jews, the preach, uh, so then goes on talking about John and, and who, G, who this Jesus really was. So he comes and he says, no man has ever seen God, but Jesus has declared him. Go and study that word declare. That word declare means to reveal or to actually explain or introduce him. So no man has ever seen God. Now I'm sure that John would have had an argument with, with, um, with Moses. He would have argued with Elijah, would have argued with Jeremiah, would have argued with Ezekiel and all these prophets of old that claimed to have seen God. Now what he was saying is, he doesn't say no man has seen God or his shape or anything like that. What he was saying is, nobody ever understood who God really was. Uh, nobody had a revelation of the truth. The Bible even says that um, the land of the shadow of death, in, there was great darkness and then the light Jesus came. So we need to realize that when we read the Old Testament and we want to see who God really is, we are looking at manuscripts written by people that walked in great darkness, that didn't have the light of the gospel, that didn't have that. But the Spirit would point to them that there's going to be something great. There's going to be a great day of the Lord. There's going to be something wonderful. Um, when we look at uh, ways of interpretation and the way, thing, uh, way we communicate, uh, we need to realize that what the Old Testament people thought when they wrote passages was not what God had in mind, although they would write it. Uh, 
to give an example, um, we would have, if you have people in South Africa, we, we have some people now all over the world that we, I think we call them the British Israel movement. They believe that only white people, the Anglo-Saxon, you know, white folk, they are the only people of God. All other people are like animals. And that only these people will be saved. Now, if I go to them and I say to them, if I'm God, and I go to them and I say to them, you know what, I'm going to cleanse the earth. What would they hear? They can only hear in the light of their belief. And what they will hear is that God's going to kill all other nations that are not pure in race. That's what they're going to hear. But what God might say is, I'm going to clean the earth from the very belief you have. That's what God can mean. You know, so uh, <laughs> I think in the Old Testament, when, when Elijah wrote those things, and when uh, Isaiah, you know, uh, um, or I mean when, when, when Ezekiel wrote things, and when uh, these minor prophets wrote things, they wrote a lot of that, having physical things of, that, of the earth in mind that time. Meantime, God was prophetically speaking about Jesus. Um, and things were written in the old, in the mindset of God is against people, he's killing people. All bad was assigned to God. It's like Adam. If, when Adam wrote things, he said, he would say, like I said in that one writing, he would say to Eve, this bad is, from, this bad is God. And then he would even find the devil coming as an angel of the light. And when Paul said the devil came as an angel of the light, he was even quoting from the book of Adam, where the, where, the, where the devil came as an angel of the light, trying to say God said this and God said that. That's why Paul said, even if an angel comes and brings any other gospel, you know, let him be accursed. So uh, many times we can think that, that God is a bad God by some of the writings in the Old Testament. But the final word on all of these things is the following. The Old Testament writers, are there, would we say their writings are inspired? Absolutely yes. Are they inspired of God? Yes. Uh, for what? For revealing the true nature of God? No. In the prophetic, pointing to what Christ has come to do for us, and in the manifestation of this prophetic, or the fulfillment of this prophetic, we have the revelation of who God really is. That's what I, what I see. And then we can, we see no man has ever seen God. And John was very adamant about this. And we're going to look at one more verse. And, um, and we're going to basically, um, yeah, I think we can maybe look at one other one as well. But John 10 verse, um, verse 9, he says, I am the door by me. If any man enter, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but to steal, to kill, to destroy. I have come that they may have life, they may have it more abundantly. So what we see here is that Jesus says that he is the door and that anybody that doesn't enter through the door is a thief and a robber. Now let's read verse 2 of verse 1. It says, Verily I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And then he goes on and he says, but the thief comes not to steal, to kill and to destroy. And who is this thief and this robber that he's talking about? Verse 8, 
all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So what it means is that Elijah couldn't lead people out, David couldn't lead people out, Noah couldn't lead people out. Nobody in the Old Testament, anybody that ever came before Jesus, never used the door. They used do's and don'ts. They didn't have a view or a picture of who God really was. They didn't walk in the fullness of who God really was. Even Enoch, he walked with God. But if we would go and look, look, look at the writings of Enoch, we would say, well, glory to God for some good stuff. But there is not a clear picture of who God was um, in what he said or in what any of these people said. There is not a clear picture. Jesus is the window of heaven. Only through Jesus can we see into heaven. Only through Jesus can we see the life that God has for us. You must excuse me. There's a fly flying around here that I can do nothing about. And I'm going to finish this message. I'm not going to restart it every time this fly comes past here. I mean, the studio speak. Where are you going to find that thing? So, well, anyway. So, um, there's always, you know, here I am dripping with the anointing and a fly comes to sit on me. Isn't that just humorous? Right, <laughs> glory to God. <clears throat> so he, when we look at this teaching, we find that Jesus says that everybody that ever came before him were thieves and robbers. So if we take what Elijah wrote, if we take what uh, Jeremiah wrote, if we take the writings of David, Solomon, all those people, and we don't go to the cross and see how it applies to the cross, how it applies to what God has come and portrayed in Christ, and we say, but God killed people when Noah was on the earth, and God killed people here, and God killed people there. I want to tell you, you're completely missing it, and what will be stolen from you is the fruit of the Spirit, and you will lose your life. That's what will take place. It will not be God that kills you. It will not be God that kills you. Every account in the Old Testament of death, I believe, has got something to do somehow with the God of this world, with the murderer of man which was from the beginning, the one that brings forth death. Even when, when um, a, a, a Jesus was on the cross and the death that came forth on his life was not the Father killing him. He was laying down his life and there were People, as he, he laid down his life and gave his life to the murderers. And what does murderers do? They murder. That's why it's written in the Bible that Jesus was murdered. The Jews murdered him. He laid down his life. In other words, he went and gave himself to the system that could murder him, which was a satanic system. That is what it was. So um, we cannot say God killed Jesus on the cross. And as, as little as we can say God killed Jesus on the cross, that's how little we can say that God killed anybody. If you want to say, I don't care what verse you quote, I want to see where Jesus killed somebody. Because to me, he is, even if Paul write and God killed somebody, it's okay. L let him write it. But I want to see where the perfect manifestation of the Word of God that walked this earth killed any person or brought sickness upon any person or, 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 point, or, or hated sinners or anything like that or judged people according to the sins in order to destroy them or anything. The only harsh thing we could ever see in the Bible was when Jesus went into the temple and took a whip 
And the Bible says, and he cleansed that temple. He drove everybody out of that temple that wasn't there. Now, um, in doing that, I see his passion and his, his zeal for the house where there should be prayer and where people should come and be in union with God. So where God could show, I believe, his, his wrath or his passion or his zeal is in or towards any system that wants to make God out as a bad God that wants your money, that wants your this, that wants your that. That is, that is what, I, what I believe. So when, um, and I'm going to end off with this verse. So when we look at the Bible, let us read the Old Testament from the perspective of knowing that the people in the Old Testament didn't know there was such a thing as the devil. Very few of them. Most of the accounts about Satan and the devil or whatever is in Job. The other people never wrote about the devil. Um, where in the New Testament we find... 200 references to the devil. And the New Testament is only a fifth in the amount of writing of the old. So in a fifth, we find 200 encounters. Where in the, in the old, we find, which is five times more than new, we only find something like 14 or 15 or 20 encounters of the devil. People didn't believe in the devil. They believe everything bad comes from God. God is good. God brings good, God brings bad, God is so sovereign, He's even the one that brings forth the sin in you, and He's the one that punishes the sin in you, should it come forth. It's such a crazy concept. You know, we even find people believing that today. God makes people um, a homosexual, and then God punishes them because they're homosexual. My goodness. Couldn't be that people are homosexual just because of the way human bodies work, you know? Uh, couldn't be like that. Couldn't be that people are crippled or people are born blind or deaf or whatever because of the imperfections that there is here and that God has come to save people from what this normal life can actually bring them where he can save the homosexual from be being homosexual, where he can save the blind from being blind and where we don't have to preach this monster God and then want people to believe in him. How are we going to find people that are homosexual believe and trust and rely upon God if God is preached as this monster that just wants to destroy them. That's going to kill them, wipe them, burn them. I mean, it's not going to work. Uh, we have to bring an accurate account of who God was and our accurate account will line up with what Jesus demonstrated when he was upon the earth. Church, know that you are loved by God and cared for by God and uh, just enjoy this week. And what I want you to do is... You don't have to say, even try and analyze everything I've said. What I want you to walk away with when you listen to this message is this simple truth. There is a possibility that the God of the Old Testament and what was said about him, that everything wasn't true. Go and read Ezekiel 36 where he says, I will come and sanctify my name for you have slandered my name by saying that I'm the one that chases you away from a country. Go and read Ezekiel 36, you'll see it. Thank you so much. Know that you are loved and cared for by God. God bless.